Thank you for downloading Gareth Jones on Speed. To listen to the new episode please say yes. There was no real need for you to do that. We just wanted to make you say yes out loud on a train. T. He. Naughty robot. Gareth Jones on speed. Hello, I'm Gareth. He's Richard. Hello. He's Zog. Hello. And welcome to Gareth Jones on speed. It's nice to have all three of us together, safe and sound, in the hood because of the riots. I don't know if you guys were troubled by the riots at all. Actually, the Hackney riots were less than a mile from here, pretty close. I was out of town at the time. I saw it on TV. And do you know what upset me most about the riots? At one point, there was a car turned upside down, burning. Frightening image, you know, horrible. It was a Nissan Micra. <laughs> it was. What possible reason could you have for burning a Nissan? Car, you might torture something a bit more offensive than a Micra. Yeah, a Micra. Yeah, I mean, it's your mum's car, isn't it? You there don't want to. Uh, there was yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. I sort of don't want to make light of the riots because of all oh, the obvious on. reasons. No, you but can. There was a, there's an oft-used picture and footage of a Mark One Mazda MX-5 on fire as well, oh. which I just found upsetting as well i mean apart yeah, from anything yeah. else uh, not wanting to get too serious about it uh, or too flippant <laughs> let's find that middle ground but <laughs> we're, the, we're famous for that if well, you're here. So, <laughs> we? i missed that memo but um <laughs> right memos now i think the fact that anyone's car was on fire that's mm. somebody's stuff yeah. but also potentially the most expensive thing they own and continue to have to yeah. pay for in insurance and fuel and all the rest of it and it's just been burned to the ground. You will imagine how cross you'd be if your car was set fire to it. I remember when the wheels were nicked off my car once, and I was just incandescent with rage. Particularly if you care about cars, your car is one of the most personal things that you own, and something that you put the most care and attention into. Although the other side of that is surely that your insurance is going to cover that damage pretty well. It is. But Whereas if you've been burnt out of your home or something, or yes. you've had oh, your, yeah, no, you know, no, the shop that you run has been burnt out, that's, that's a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, yeah. fine. You live in London, you can always get the tube and the insurance will get you another car. Yeah, yeah but, exactly, yeah. But there's it's, something, it's, could like, be a lot it's I don't know, I just find it like a gross it's not good, affront. It could be worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, it could be worse. It, oh, it it's, it's, speaking, speaking of burned out cars, I was looking through some pictures that I took years ago of the poll tax riots. Oh, yeah. The day after the poll tax riots, I went into town and just was taking photographs of the aftermath. And when I was looking through these photographs again a few weeks ago and hadn't looked through them for a while, I noticed something that had never actually struck me before, probably because I didn't, know my body work of certain cars quite as well as I do now. Where's this going? One of the burnt-out shells that I'd taken some quite close-up shots of was a burnt-out 944. Outrage. Which I could tell from, uh, you know, so many things. But uh, Outrage. That would upset you. I was well, upset yeah, at the size of a Nissan Micra. But for you to see a 944, or for me, a Lancia HPE or oh, something, yeah, or for you, Richard, I don't know, a, a well, Morris Marina 1.8 Coupe, no, you know? burn all they like. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I Chuck suppose on the, the thing is that there were some very appalling things that went on in those yeah. riots and yes people lost their homes and people lost their yeah. businesses and therefore their livelihoods but when I saw the cars burning as a car geek it was just that sense of oh god leave the cars out of this yeah yeah 
Just what have they done do, to yeah, you? Exactly. Can I ask, you almost said it yourself earlier on, that you invest a huge amount, not just financially, but your time and your brain space into the ownership of a car. You know, it's the second most expensive thing you'll ever buy apart from a house. You know, you invest time and money and savings and you'll forego other things to have this car. And yeah, that's why people care about them so much. That's why we're able to make this bloody show, you know, because well, people care quite. enough. Listen, talking about rioting, okay? Do you want to go and campaign outside Bernie Eccleston or Sky and say, give us our F1 back? Does that make you angry, the fact that F1 has gone to pay TV, basically? It makes me want to push a Nissan Micra onto its side and set fire to it. Contrary to all my previously expressed Here's a lighter, beliefs. Mate. <laughs> Jeez, no, it's petrol-soaked rag. Really disappointing. I think we'll yeah. all remember where we were when we heard about London descending into chaos and, yeah. and getting set on fire with those riots. But I'll also remember exactly where I was when I found out. To me, it feels like the BBC have betrayed us. And it's, I think it's well known that when they came to the end of their contract in 2013, they were not going to be able to hang on to the Formula One because it was too expensive for them in a time when they're having to very publicly be seen to save money. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that they bailed on the contract early and came up with a sort of half arse solution where, oh, no, don't worry, the Formula One is still on the BBC, but only some of it. And I feel like they've let us down. Yeah, I'm a bit split on this because as a fan, I'm gutted they're going to strip out the best of the BBC coverage, essentially. I mean, okay, we're going to get highlights packages. We're going to get what are judged to be the most important races. We're going to get those live, and that's great. And I'm sure the highlights package is going to be really good. But even so, the fact that that so many of the races are going to be only live on Sky and you're going to have to pay for the Sky coverage if you Mm. want to see that, I hate that. That's not a good prospect. But I can see if the BBC have got to save as much money as they have, if they have to be seen to be saving money, then F1 is a pretty big chunk of money to target. And I can see why... I hate it, but it's sort of... But the uh, thing is, you know, I I work sometimes for the BBC and as a freelancer I've worked the BBC on and off my whole career so Mm. sort of for the past 13 years now and I would always defend a lot about the BBC but when you know that organisation from the inside you know that by god they know how to waste money sometimes Mm. and Mm. there are other things they do which just are absolutely inexplicable and one of them Mm. is this move to Salford which I was railing about on Twitter when the F1 decision came out and they're spending, well, the National Audit's Office reckons it's like 877 million over 20 yeah. years. The BBC is saying the whole move's going to cost them less than 300 million. There's lots of numbers flying around. It's hard to say. The BBC mm. move to Salford is not lock, stock and barrel, is it? Many departments. They're are moving going on. Radio 5 Live, for example, yeah. slightly dumb because 5 Live's a news and sport yeah. channel. And the news, of course, requires them to talk to politicians and things like that all the time. They're going to have to pay for studio time in London anyway to talk to these politicians down the line because, unfortunately, most politicians are in London because what? that's where Parliament is something the thought they'd have noticed. You think they'd know that they should have asked someone. Um, They're moving kids up there. Well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the new stuff, BBC Breakfast, things like that. I don't know about that, but I don't think question time, not news. However, well, question time is they see question time, but goes all over the place. Theoretically, their production office could be anywhere because they go all over the place, and it makes sense. That's the kind of program that should be moved. But stuff where they have to be, unfortunately, for better or worse, London centric. Leave it in bloody London because it's like a movie studio saying we're going to move to Boy. Idaho, and it's like, well, no, because the centre of expertise sure. 
is in Hollywood. For better or worse, it would be like the stainless steel industry in the 19th century saying, we're going to move out of Sheffield and we're mm. going to go and move to Surrey just because we feel we're underrepresented in Surrey. And it's like, well, no, everyone who knows how to do stainless steel is predominantly in Sheffield. So stay there, have a satellite down there, nurture talent in Surrey to make stainless steel. Because the truth yeah. is, Manchester's a fantastically creative city. And, you know, and I'm yeah. from near Manchester, so yeah. this is not like being snotty about the north. Yeah. There should be more TV made in Manchester but not for the reasons the BBC thinks because the BBC thinks it's underrepresenting the regions now that's absolute bollocks no independent radio would set up BBC Radio Swindon or BBC Radio Sheffield or any of the tiny catchment area radio stations that mm. the Beeb does that have healthy listenerships but entirely underpinned by the licence fee. Commercially, they don't make sense. But what they do do, fantastically, is serve local areas. That's yeah. representing the regions. That's the BBC giving value for money. Not mm. moving a load of shows to Salford because nobody gives a rat's where television and radio is actually made. They just want mm. it to be good and to cater for their needs. Like, I'm sorry, I'll stop now. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> we understand your position, I, I, and we're sympathetic. But yeah. we got away from your original point, which was that this, yeah. this has <laughs> a cost other ways as well. implication cost. for so the, the BBC. The moving from London is to costing Salford. many yeah. millions of pounds. Now, I would How many, what, 33 well, trips in an orange Salford Van Hire transit box Salford van? Salford Van Hire. Yeah, it's, yes, uh, isn't it? still going. Yeah, um, well, of course, they're doing the move, obviously. Yeah, well, they've got the franchise. In a, in a Luton van. So this but, is a cost. The BBC now can't afford Formula One. I'm sympathetic to the BBC, to the position that they're in, because... It's a difficult position, yes. Well, they were made an offer with Formula One that they couldn't turn down. ITV said, we can't sustain this anymore. We'd rather have the football. We can't sell the advertising. Look, do you want to do a swap deal? That's how it came about. There was a football motorsport trade-off between those two channels, and BBC, if you like, was gifted Formula One. They've done a superb and almighty, intelligent job of the making of the coverage it's been wonderful yeah. i am astonished that it's gone to pay tv not for the reasons of the bbc's excellence which i think is spot on well spot that's on. what hurts as well is the fact that BBC have done such a great job and we're going to have that taken away from us for most races yeah. but the point is that how on earth is it going to pay tv when the model which the Grumpy Teams Association, whatever they're called, until very, very recently has been saying, no, no, the whole business model Formula One is built on is people seeing this. Everyone free to has TV. to see it. Well, and, and that's how we get this massive support from massive multinational corporations. And that's what F1 needs to sustain it. Is it not in, whether it's the Concord Agreement or, or another agreement, is it not in one of the agreements that the sport has to be on free-to-air TV? I, I think I, it is. I yes, think it is. is. Yeah. Things are about to change regarding that. You know, every contract's negotiable. And there is a hmm. change period coming up, an opt-out thing, I think, and that's how this has come about. I never thought it would happen. I genuinely thought, no, it's going to stay with the people because on a much smaller scale, but in a very similar model, look at A1 Grand Prix, which tried to sustain itself on pay TV and just collapsed after three or four years. If it had been free to air for the first 50 years, like Formula One was, <laughs> yeah. think about it, you know, it would have had its own momentum and kept going. <laughs> it would have had a chance, is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> you know that statement that was made recently that Top Gear was closer to the end of its run than the start of its run? Yeah. I think the same thing has just happened to Formula One. Unless it gets back to free-to-air viewing, I think we've watched the end of a period in Formula One, mostly in Bernie's tenure, that from now on it will be in decline. 
You may well be right, but if that's the case, it's not happening because it's going to Sky. It's not happening because it's going over to the BBC. Yeah, good point. It, it, it's entirely to do with yeah. other factors. Well, yeah, no, you no, know, but to know, a certain but, extent. But, but, they take it to Sky. They're allowed to maintain that Concord agreement of it's free-to-air because the BBC retains some of it. Yeah. That fulfils that part of the contract. The letter of the issue. But only for until 2013. After that, let's say Sky chuckies up for the rest of the money keeps it exclusively, they'll rewrite the Concord Agreement. That will open the door for broadcasters in other countries to also allow it to go to pay TV. And, yeah, then you start to marginalise it because it's still very popular in Europe. Much they're trying yeah. to court people in, in India and China and places like yeah, that. And yeah. Korea, fundamentally, Formula One is still most popular in Europe. And if they start to lose the European TV audience, I mean, yeah, it yeah, only takes cool. then for a slightly boring season as well. We go mm. back to one of those sort of real processional things where one team dominates, which yeah. I despite everything with Red Bull, I don't think we've got this season. Agreed, yeah. But you end up with sort of processional season, things don't work out, bad rule changes, whatever, dominant team, people start to ebb away. Anyway, I'm not renewing my subscription because Formula One's boring these days. And then okay. you're right, you could I mean, see trouble. Formula yeah. One in a decline phase. Well, listen to this. If I were to ask the three people on this show what we're going to do about F1, are we each now going to pick up the something like 300 quid a year to watch the races on Sky which aren't on the BBC you know what you'll struggle to find people more committed to Formula 1 than us guys we're Mm. typical of the kind of people who keep the sport going I'm not going to pay for it. I can't. No, I can't. but I can't, I'm going to I can't afford it. I'm going to propose right now forming some little consortium whereby we share the cost yeah, yeah, of the subscription. Yeah. How about well, that? Well, so you know, I agree with you. That's the thing. The thought of not being able to watch the race is pains me. Yeah. But the thought of paying for it pains me as well. Yeah. And I'm starting to wonder about pubs that are showing it well, and things I, like that. I, no, I, we'll all meet up and we'll I go football, for a pint. Football, and we'll no, no, football works in a pub. No, you're right. You can't go and watch F1 in a pub. There's only one shoemaker. It's not. But it's needs much. I mean, I've. 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 Saying, sign up for the Sky Sports package. Mm. And they obviously know it's too expensive and off puttingly so. Yeah. They don't quote the yearly cost, nor even the monthly cost, they say for only 75p a day. And you yeah. start thinking, well, hang on a minute, extrapolate that, and that's yeah, actually yeah. quite a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Off. that's yeah, yeah. three quarters of £365 a year. Yeah, which yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Okay, right, here and now, right, this is the plan. This is the only way we're going to do this. If you're considering signing up to pay for Formula One now, and you listen to this program, and you're on Twitter, tell your mates, right, do it via any medium you can right don't sign up until the night before the first race right? <laughs> they are will they will then drop the price at least 50 percent for all of us because and if we do it we work as one it's better than a riot so i'll bring news from last night's riots what is it Stephen? well the window of our sky superstore was smashed and 500 skyboxes with full Sky Sports subscriptions were looted. Oh, excellent. So that's at least 500 people who'll be watching our Formula One coverage next year. Well, unless it's a race that's also on the BBC, sir. Shut up! Central, we've got a Jones on speed! 
As you're listening to this, we're probably all on holiday or out of the country, as is F1 at the moment, enjoying its three-week break. When it comes back, is it going to be an exciting season? McLaren have recently said that they haven't ruled out the championship. That's That's realistic. Yeah, Yeah, that's Mm. realistic. Um, For McLaren as a team to overhaul the Mega Bowls, you've got your J. Comfrey Special Edition I Am A Pad uh, there, Richard. Go on, read it out. What does it say? Uh, So we've got the Drivers' World Championship, which we're just looking up to refresh our memories about what's going on. Vettel has 234 points, and his nearest rival in second is Mark Webber, who has 149. So that's an 85-point difference. That's four races. Well, yeah, it's four races. With your opponent not scoring. Yeah, there'd be a lot of complex equations you could do to work out the different probabilities, but fundamentally, Vettel's doing quite well. And then Hamilton, Alonso, Button, Massa, Rosberg. Massa is Massa. Yeah. I mean, you Rosberg. have to say Alonso has done very well to get himself that you part of the say, table. Yeah, yeah. Well, given you know as well. He's fair play to the lad. He's, uh, I know. He's, and, and he looks happy, doesn't he? Great yeah. job. He, he looks happy, too. Because, you know, Ferrari have improved that car in recent races, and it's looking mm. a bit quicker, but it's really only recently that they've really taken that step up. And yeah. fair play to them, was it De Montezemolo or Stefano Dominicali? I forget which one of them said, oh, we, we don't need Adrian Newey. We have a kind yeah. of a strength and depth, uh, the sort of thing McLaren say. Mm. But I don't think brave. they do so. I don't think McLaren would ever sort of I lose think... their dignity enough to say, we don't need another bloke, would they? They're a little bit more, what's the word? Borg. They're like Borg. the Borg, yes. the hive mind. <laughs> they are. Don't you think any of the teams would have Newey as their chief designer, uh, given yeah. the choice? Oh, yeah. He wants to so. make yachts, but, really, doesn't uh, he? Yeah, you he, might have said that about Ross Braun to some extent. And, and he hasn't quite not worked. Quite worked his Look, guys, we're, talk- we're talking about the teams. We're talking about the cars. We're not talking about the fact that Vettel, fair play to him, is having a championship year, really. You know, it's hard to follow a championship year with a, another championship year. I know he's got the car, but I think Vettel's looking great. And I don't dislike him at all. It's just a bit unfortunate that the others aren't quite as close or weren't as close before we went to the break as they should be. I'm quite enjoying watching Vettel being very, very, very good, really, because he is, isn't he? Really. Well, I, it's funny you say about not disliking him, because yeah. I didn't dislike him. No. I didn't sort of particularly like Well, I didn't, didn't I'm fond of Vettel. I love his. Uh, I think, I mean, well, he's got tremendous talent, hmm. tremendous speed. Sure, that talent is more oriented toward being able to hang on to the lead of a race rather than fight his way through the field. Yeah. But you know, no one ever complained about. I don't know, Jim Clark maybe being a bit too good at you know hanging mm. on to the leader of race and not, not yeah, yeah, anyone yeah, take yeah. him. And, and his English is better well, than mine. I mean, well, no, I mean yeah. thing, you know, <laughs> I, I, I do I do like his personality. I do like Vettel's uh, yeah. Yeah, his sense of humour. His uh, yeah. Well, I mean, funny enough because I got a lot of time for him. But I he's, um, wasn't sure all that kind of. Oh, I'm such a zany guy, and I like Monty Python. And I was, I sort of there's a part of me that thought, well, do you really? Are you, are are you trying a bit sort of hard? This kind of, of yeah, of, weird. Yeah, this this yes, exactly. Look at me, hey, let it go. Let's have a crazy party. And just it all felt like really behind closed doors that perhaps he was just one of those sort of modern generation of young drivers who's so totally and completely focused on driving the car that they're actually almost not a human being. 
with a personality. And then we had Vettel on Top Gear. Mm. And all of that stuff that if you saw him being interviewed on the TV and his wit and the, the speed of his responses to Clarkson. In who, a, li- in a language know, in, a, in his language. second language. Yeah. And also, too, yeah. you know, he's talking to a professional TV presenter in that presenter's world. Yeah. He's in the studio yeah. where most of the people there are there because they want to go and see Top Gear. So therefore, you assume they probably quite like Jeremy. So yeah. he's got a massive crowd on his side. And it's his domain, it's what he does for a living, against mm. a guy that it's not his job to be sparkling on chat shows. His job is to drive a car fast. And mm. it is, his, as you say, his second language. And he was genuinely hilarious and just came across as a very, apart from anything else, very, very smart guy. Mm. But in a way that doesn't just apply to doing the maths on how he can shave another tenth off if he changed the camber slightly on the front of the car. And he was a lot more comfortable in his skin in that situation on Top Gear than Jensen Button is in a head and shoulders advert, for <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, I, actually, no, well, yeah, yeah. We, we, Jensen, he's really dropped the ball with this one because it seems to me that, you know, Jensen Button, he's maturing so beautifully as a driver right now. He's driving magnificently. That Richard Hungary was wonderful. I just love the fact that he went into McLaren, which, you know, was clearly Hamilton's team. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. pretty much everyone expected him to be coming out second best all, to be humbled by, by yeah. Hamilton and to have a hard time of it and, you know, to look a bit sorry. And absolutely no way. He's just doing yeah, a fantastic yeah. job there. I love the fact that there are these two wonderful British drivers driving for a British racing team that I love. Jensen's manner with the press. He's wonderful at dealing with me. He's laid back. Mm. He's charming. He's smooth. He's got this beautiful, wonderful girlfriend. And then he does that head and shoulders ad, <laughs> which is horrible. It's just... It's, no, it, if you haven't seen the head and shoulders advert, go and Google it. Go and look at it now. It'll be there on the tube of you. But it, it's, it's, further, it's, it's further evidence that every... TV advert that is made involving a modern F1 driver is just rubbish. The Schumacher, the Schumacher, because I'm worth it. One, you know, dubbed on with somebody else's voice. that was that was L'Oreal. Yes, it was. John Alacy did one of those as well. That was awful. It was really awful. Back in the seventies, James Hunt did one for Brute. With Henry Cooper, who oh, you remember, the boxer Henry yeah. Cooper was the horizontal Henry. He was the yeah. face of brute and sort of long term advert campaign fronting the man. An open chested hairy man. Yes, well, it was the 70s. Open chested And the Vauxhall Chevette. He also advertised the Vauxhall Hunted, yes, that's true. He did. And his advert with Henry Cooper is really bizarre because it's. James Hunt coming back to his motorhome after winning a race, it seems, and Henry Cooper's sitting there, and you go, well done, James. And it sort of goes on in that vein, we go, and, and there's a girl. And no one bothered to ask why Henry Cooper Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> exactly. Well, in an age, weird because in an age when Eric and Ernie shared a bedroom, you could do this. You know, they, they, were the, they were Ernie and Bert of their day. It, well, there's one issue. thing between the sort of... <laughs> Two blokes who are such good friends that they share a bedroom together in the way that Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street do. Yeah. And there's been a thing recently how now they've legalised gay marriage in New York. That when uh, are those two going to get married? Those two going to get married? Yeah. And although puppets have no sexuality, they have yeah. the, the puppets don't exist from the waist down. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they really do. They, they really don't. Yeah. But uh, the Henry Cooper advert is worth looking up. I think it's on YouTube still because he's then, living yeah, with James, James Hunt. Hunt. Well, James Hunt. No, it's in like a Winnebago. And James Hunt, rather than having a shower, just splashes on some brute, which sends out a strange <laughs> message about the brand anyway, but probably one that men can connect with. Lazy man stuff. Have it essentially. <laughs> what is called a squaddy shower in some circles don't actually have a shower deodorant aftershave whatever but then a girl appears and Henry Cooper's just sort of the closing shot from memory I may be getting this wrong 
is of Henry Cooper sort of beaming genially as if he's planning to stick around and watch James Hunt rutting some girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bizarre, but then it was the 70s. As um, it's a very strong argument that you put an F1 driver in an advert and it's pathetic, it's, it devalues it, it's hopeless. I can counter that with two examples. Oh, I think I know what you're Heike has done some very good adverts for Finnish How do you mobile know company. they're good? You don't speak Finnish. There are subtitled versions. You oh, can, okay. it's, they're cool. You'll see. I'm not going to blow what it is. It's worth okay, seeing, no, right? Heike okay. and his dad. Okay. Right? Okay. It's lovely. But best of all, not only the only example, in my opinion, of a, a really, really, really good advert with Formula One driver in it, but probably... One of the best adverts ever made, in my opinion. I saw it again recently. And that was the one which Damon Hill did with Murray Walker for Pizza Hut in the 90s. Where Murray's commentating the whole time. Stop it, Murray. We're just out for a quiet pizza. It I is think a you're a delicious... bit biased because it's got Damon Hill in it. Oh, it's lovely, man. <laughs> it was it's... quite a good advert. Was... And Murray Walker really carried it. it I still great. remember that Damon's performance was clunky it wasn't yeah. bad I watched it recently it was, I was oh, kind of happy with that that was not one of the greatest TV ads ever made no, it's not. my programme yeah. and I say it is yeah those Guinness ads come on <laughs> yeah, they didn't have Damon Hill in them though did they yeah. <laughs> bars are on me. Hang on. You're not a kid. You've got a goatee beard. And grey hair. You're Damon Hill. Shh. Don't tell anyone. And all because the lady loves milk tray. Oi! What are you doing in my bedroom? I'm a mysterious suitor, head to toe in dashing black. Dashing black? That's just an old Arrows racing suit with Mika Salo's name on it. And your hair's not black, it's grey. You're Damon Hill. Shh, I don't think anyone's noticed. This is the man who put a million on red and it came up black. This is the man who moved into gold just as the smart money moved out. This is the man who left a championship winning team to go to Arrows. This... Hang on. This is Damon Hill. Shh. If only everything in life was as reliable as a Damon Hill. Okay. Actually, since we're talking about Formula One drivers in adverts, I forgot to mention the absolute worst example, not just the performance and the bad dubbing, but the very product at the heart of it, which eats into my soul. Fernando Alonso, probably my least favourite driver on the current grid probably. since yeah, Jack Villeneuve's not ever. there. Ever? Yeah. No, no, no. Ralph? I don't hate Ralph. Ralph's yeah. a great comedy foil. No, yeah, Fernando yeah, Alonso, not so keen on him. As we say, or as I say a lot on this show, Mm. terrific driver, respect for that, Mm. but I just don't like him. Fair enough. So, what was he advertising, Richard? He's advertising on television. Yes, Richard. The Fiat 500 Twin Air. Hang on. Isn't that the mm. car that you recently spent your hard-earned cash on because you love it so much? Yes. And what has that done to your faith in the car that Nando, Teflonso, what do we call him? Fernando Alonso. Yes. 
And if how it, does this make you, you feel? If you think you know what word was underneath <laughs> that beep, then do write in. But um, Would you like to lie on the couch and explain oh, how you feel about this? Holy mother of God, if you've not seen this advert, then... <laughs> Why not ruin your life as well? Tell me the other five hundred twinner. So tell me oh, the other. I haven't just, seen it. Just you, you know, you just you just quoted a bit of it. Did I? Oh well, unknowingly because you were talking no. to me. It's a man you hear speaking, talking about, oh, I do many things. And then it reveals, and it shows him bombing around in the 500. All I can remember is there's one bit where you see it sort of with steamed up windows rocking side to side, and it's meant to imply no. that he's squiring a lady he's in there. It off. And then it reveals that it's Alonso on the couch at the psychiatrist, which is what I thought you were alluding to, No, see. not at all, no. I was just... And it's fantastically badly dubbed. Wow. I mean, in an insultingly poor way. And it's advertising my car, short of getting Nick Griffin to advertise the Jaguar XJR. I can't think of a worse association between somebody I don't like and a product which I love very dearly, my car. I haven't mentioned this on the show before, but a few weeks ago I bought a Fiat 500 Twinner. It's a fantastic little car. I oh, love yeah. it very deeply. We'll talk about it more on the show at some point because I'd love to go out in it and we'll record the great little noise that it makes and the fact that it's congestion charge free in London. It has no road tax mm. wherever you are in the country. Oh, yeah. That is and cool. That's on a my revolution. street, yeah. Well, because mm. of this low CO2 official emissions that it has, 95 grams per kilometre, below that 100 threshold, so no road tax, it costs me £200 a year to buy a parking permit to park on my own street for the Jaguar. For the Fiat, it costs just £20. The reason being that parking under the borough of London where I live is based on CO2. Yeah, they do. uh, Something that the car doesn't emit whilst it's parked. They do it in Well, but it's designed to modify your behaviour. That's why they do it. And they say... More more space. And they try to say that the petrol engine is dead. But here is an example of, if you like, the zenith. I'm afraid the petrol engine is dead because, foolishly, just when we thought we had a saviour on the horizon in the form of this clever new fierce engine with its uh, electro-hydraulic valve actuation, almost like a Formula 1 engine, really. It's about as close as you can get to F1 technology in the road, bizarre. That's why Fernando advertises it. The saviour of the petrol engine, new technology, great application of electronics to control this stuff, finally, Mm. which engineers have been working on for years, but now we can do it properly. And, unfortunately, they've chosen to get it advertised by an absolute git and therefore I suspect sales will suffer. All right, I will counter that with a similar experience with a car which isn't advertised on telly, but I blagged one for a review for this programme recently because, just like you, it's got what I consider to be high-end technology, proper race technology in the car. Mm -hmm. The Peugeot RCZ. I had the diesel version of that car recently Mm -hmm. and took it to Swansea and back and up to the British Grand Prix and stuff. We got the whole uh, tent thing in. It's, you know, like a TT in that respect. It's got this cavernous back end. Well, it's suspiciously like a TT, I would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, some wag called it the... uh, Oldie TT, which is <laughs> the very, not the Audi TT, the Oldie TT, okay. worker genius. I've, I haven't driven the TT. I don't know how they compare culturally. But what I liked about this car, my reason for choosing it was it has this HDI FAP engine. Ah. And it's got a kind of a sort of cab forward kind of, I could be Anthony Davidson in a 908 going down the Molson Street if I really imagine myself, sort of association. Yeah, I think it's quite a good looking car, it's gonna, I, oh, like, yeah. I like the roof. It is a nice looking car, good, um, it is. I mean, yes, yeah, a mock, but it looks like a TT, but it only, actually, in profile particularly, because it's much longer. It reminds yeah. me a little bit 
of some unspecified car from the 1930s. It yeah, has that yeah, sort of long yeah, tail yeah, yeah, elegance yeah, yeah, yeah. about it. French, yeah, okay. French. Yeah, 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 like a, yeah. Like a well, the, guy, the guy who mm. did some of the design work, I don't know if he did the interior, the exterior, is a Northeasterner. His name is, is it Keith? Seriously, his uh, name? Yeah, did we I'm meet very, him at we Le Mans? Did. We went very, to, I've met to him a, twice. A Peugeot thing. Oh, he's a great bloke. I think he may be from... Durham or somewhere like that. Somewhere yeah, like yeah. That. yeah very, He's oh. like the deputy head of design. Yeah. Peugeot. And making Persia design sound like a secondary school. They don't have deputy heads. He's probably called <laughs> the, sort of the junior executive head, head president of design. Pre- they have prefects. He's the design uh, yes, he prefect. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the head boy of design. He's been there for ages. But anyway, no, he didn't do the interior, I don't think, because most of the interior is just out of the 08 hatchback, isn't it? I, think I don't think it fits. I think the dash is very different. Uh, the seats are certainly different. The uh, steering wheel, yeah, I don't think it is. Definitely the, the H point, as designers call it, the, the, yeah, the, the, the seat height. Yeah. The seat height where you, the, is the hip mm. point, because it's where your hip bone would be. I thought and it was hard point. It's no, well, hard point uh, is something else, but yeah, okay. hip point is, okay. when it's talking about where the seats are, right. the hip point is just is basically the height of the seat. It's where you put your hip bone, and in coupes they always try and drop the H point, make it feel more sporty. They feel, feel like you're lower yeah. on the road, yeah. I chose this car deliberately because I had this sort of long-legged run to Swansea and back to do, and I thought, yeah, something that's geared for Le Mans would be perfect for that and I swear I see it as like a baby 908 it has a genuine association but took it to the British Grand Prix first and I found it was bogging down it was really weird you know you kind of come out of a roundabout put your foot down nothing would happen this is hopeless this car's hopeless and it took me about two or three days to realise this car produces so much torque Unbelievable amounts of torque. I forget the figures. Nine billion megatorques. Oh, that is unbelievable. It's, it's, quite, a, it's yeah. quite a big figure. The, I was driving around in the wrong gear all the time. But most cars mm. that don't produce enough torque would, do, 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 you know, would stutter at that point. This thing doesn't. It just sort of kept going but wouldn't accelerate. And it took me a long time to relearn how to drive that car and drive, you know, a gear and a half lower down than that. And you'd have to rev it like a... I used to work in a quarry. You know those big Terex dumper trucks? Yeah. They're huge quarry trucks, you know, not road legal. They used to be, when I was doing this sort of 30 years ago, they used to be uh, two-stroke diesels. If the oh. Yeah, rev the hell out of them. What, well, you drove those dumper trucks? No, I was a laboratory technician in a laboratory oh, in a quarry, okay. and I had to go and design aggregate and stuff. In fact, I tell you a story, there were these two articulated shovel loaders in a quarry one day. I, I was given two articulated shovel loaders and a corner of a quarry to go and create an aggregate. You know, you need kind of 30 tonnes of pieces over 8 tonnes. You need 100 tonnes of the very fine stuff and put it all together and create this aggregate for this new piece of road that we're building in North Wales. And so I was given these two guys to go and pick out the stuff. So I would ride, you know, you've got the cab and around the cab you've kind of got this platform this mm-hmm. that you can stand on. So I'm standing on that directing the guys and from around one corner of the quarry comes another one like a dinosaur with its shovel up like this heading towards us and then they lowered and the two of them squared off against each other were trying to tip each other over the drivers <laughs> with me hanging on the outside and it gets worse the next trick was what's this Gus you like this yeah? drove into the quarry side filled the scoop full of limestone accelerated backwards at the same time as lifting the shovel and the result is and it does a reverse forward wheelie going back with me clinging on on the outside. So, you know, I respect the two-stroke diesel engine is what I'm saying. <laughs> and this little Peugeot, you have to drive it like one of those. It's unusual. I've never driven a, a diesel like it before. You have to rev the bollocks off it low down. It just seemed completely 
completely <laughs> counterintuitive. And it took me a while to relearn how to drive that car, but I loved it. And it got a hell of a lot of attention, mm-hmm. not just ladies mm. as well. Mm. Guys, oh, yeah. <laughs> amazing, because it looks like a ladies' car in what yeah. common parlance people. A lot of those Peugeots that aren't hatches, a lot of women support them. It's the truth, isn't it? I don't know. I lost interest in Persia. I, I, <laughs> you know. I just wouldn't have said no, that. I, do like I, I just that wouldn't have said that it was a hairdresser's car or something. No, that's I don't sometimes know. I prejudicially got, called. I'd like to see if they could do a sort of coupes, yeah, if they could milk uh, the Le Mans success hmm. or sort of success by doing a sort of ultra sporty one. There is a 200 brake horsepower version. There is, now. but what I'm thinking is they should beef up the looks a little bit, see if yeah, they can. Yeah. I think they've just done a one with a matte black paint job on it. Yeah, the whether... asphalt edition. Hey, oh, I know. Is that what you have? Mm, you do yeah. know a lot about it. No, I, I didn't have that, but that's okay. what it's called. I, I read a little about it. I'm, I like this car. I think it's a super car. Um, bit harsh, the ride. Yeah. You have to work around the gearbox, but the rest of it was a joy, really. Mm. Double bubble. And I'm, you know, I'm a yeah, sucker like double for a bubble. Yeah. Double bubble Absolutely. is good. Mm. Double bubble, they sort of Rails, uh, what I get, well, designers would call cant rails uh, over the you mm. know the hoops that form the sides of the roof line. Very easy and um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a nice looking little car. Mm. I should I should try and borrow one or something and see what it's like instead of just sneering because I haven't really. Oh, I drove a five oh eight. I think oh, I mentioned yes. this on They're the big, show. Big, aren't they? Yeah, big. And there's a sort of it's a bit of a curate's egg that car because there's some bits of it are quite quite acceptable. It's no, it's not as good as a Mondeo. Or probably an insignia, or an accord. <laughs> or, so essentially, you it's sort of think, well, why have they really bothered? But at the same time, it has got some good bits to it. But it also uh, it was the uh, yes, yeah, and oddly enough, quite a few people it's quite from a nice Megan. Well, yeah, I had the saloon in white as well. But, but quite Very a few UN. people, like people, people I work with who are into cars and were just friends and stuff, and my wife all kind of went, oh, it's a nice-looking car, that. Mm. Unsolicited as well, which is rare, you know, that it gets that much praise. I think it's nice enough-looking. It had more buttons on the interior than it's humanly possible to use in a lifetime, some of which <laughs> I think we have accepted symbols for things now. Traction control is broadly, you know, a skiddy car. Yeah. And if you want to recirculate the air, you know, that's a symbol. Yeah. There's the research, yeah. yeah. There are all these yeah. things that we take for granted. There were buttons in that car. I had no idea what they did and some of them they look like it's like oh my god if I press that it's going to start sifting rocks I don't want that <laughs> I have to not press it and I, thought, I just I, can't, I haven't got time to get the manual out and it's just, I just it was weird and also it was a diesel one but it was the powerful diesel it's a 2.2 yeah. from that Ford family of engines yeah. that's in the uh, yeah. Freelander and it was in the Jag X type has just been put into the Land Rover Defender I saw news this week that, that technology it was in the Mini it was in uh, oh no that's a different family that's, that's Peugeot and that's Peugeot and BMW do that. Is that a different doing size? Small oh, petrol engines. I'm sorry. And Ford and Peugeot do medium-sized diesel engines. Yeah, them, Lion, right? and then the, the, the four cylinders are called like Puma and things like that. And hey, you know your the li- I know, it's, this is a bit right? geeky, Love isn't it? I'm sorry, but uh, they're all made in Dagenham. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so this 508 had this 2.2-litre engine, this sort of maximum whack trim, which I think is 200 and so, I suppose, yeah, like yeah, must be more. Or maybe must yeah, be more. No, I'm not sure. It's only a four. You used to put V6 diesels in these things. I can't be anymore because no one really buys them. So they True. had a powerful four-cylinder diesel in there, and then it had the world's worst automatic gearbox on it. Oh, Ooh. really? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Automatic gearboxes now are so good, and they're almost a dying art because people are going towards these twin-clutch things that you can still automate more efficient 
and mm. the traditional auto is either being overlooked or they're going to these sort of ones with eight or nine, ten, twelve gears on them, and they just think this is unnecessary. And as an old-fashioned six-speed auto box is, when it's done well, by the people still using them, and some Mercedes have relatively few gears, and Jaguar used that ZF six-speed to spectacular effects in yeah, great yeah. gearboxes. Yeah. They program it well, and this is with, what it's about. With it's diesels. Software. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, but it's yeah. mostly about the programming. It's about telling the computer in the gearbox to talk to the computer in the engine and, and to just momentarily cut the ignition when it changes gear so you smooth out the changes and all these things even my Jaguar XJR is what 13 years old now almost and yeah. you barely notice the gear changes in yeah. it at the time it was quite advanced and it was electronically connected to each other and you got into this Peugeot 508 and it was sort of a reminder of what automatic gearboxes used to be like 20 years ago mm-hmm. it was really it's just really easy to confuse it yeah. oh what's going on oh you're slowing down oh I better change up no no up I meant down ah, ah. Oh. the last time I had a box that bad was an American hire car years ago where you come up mm. with some lights and, you, and it's almost like the gearbox had Couldn't forgotten decide quite how to do well, it, it just, it yeah. just forgot that you were slowing down it just nipped out for a fag and so <laughs> suddenly at the last minute you'd hear this boom as it suddenly changed down because yeah. it was like oh god you're doing 5 miles an hour and you're about to stop and I'm in 6th what mm. am I doing tell you what you've got a problem with there what's going on here this is an example right the gearbox is not talking to the engine the engine is not talking to the gearbox and that's the problem they're both independently very good they're just not talking to each other think about it where was the transmission built <laughs> i don't know but might have been it won't be right and will it no, no it'll be in no. france the chances are yeah, it'll be in france yeah, yeah. 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 the engine was built in dagenham that i do know yeah sounded tall like that isn't it and you've got a french gearbox you've got a, an engine was talking like this they don't speak the same language, do they? That's what's <laughs> that. it's, a, it's a failure in the relationship between England and France. Well, that's, that's why what you so, got many, uh, so many ECUs are made by Bosch from Germany because you need a sort of organised person to boss everyone around. That's what you want. Listen, we've got to knock this on the head, guys. We've talked for about three months for this show, and I know this programme's going to last a bit longer while we all three go away on holiday. But I want to give the last word to Zog. Zog, we've talked about the resilience of German design and the excellence of German design. You've been fighting a war with German, with German design, design. <laughs> haven't you? I, with a particular, well, I've been fighting um, a long, hard, depressing battle with a particular German transmission oil drain plug. Oh! Which, uh, how long has this war gone on? It's meant to remove the transmission plug oil. Yeah, I, I'm thinking you may be right about this. <laughs> and, and you so, speak I, words of wisdom. Summarise. I, I think this is about this point at least three months. So I decided that I should change the oil in the transaxle. I checked that I could remove the fill plug because what you don't want to do is remove the drain plug and then find that you can't remove the fill plug. You, you can see where that's going. So I checked that I could remove the fill plug okay that's fine i then get onto the drain plug won't shift so after welding one thing to it and then the welds weren't very good i had to teach myself to weld to do this by the way and get to yeah, underneath the car this, not in a pit this is yeah, yeah this is the, welding the, the, above the, the, this, this is doing it you know in the road on axle stands limited space yet not surprising after removing the drain plug i rounded out the allen hex oh. hole in the middle of the uh, of, of the plug no so i had to kind of get a Hence trying to weld a socket in there to get a bit of force on there. Broke the weld. I welded a bolt in there and then welded a nut on top of that. Broke the bolt in half. Uh, Anyway, anyway, I then went back to plan A and got another drain plug socket. Welded it in properly this time and eventually I managed to get the out. So it felt good. It really felt good. Can we have a small round of applause away from the microphone? Thank you, thank you. Well done, Zog. You've been listening to a much happier Zog. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you've got that done. It's been troubling you. I'm glad I got that done. I'm really honest. It's been... Yeah. <laughs>
Fucking missile. Bugger at you for weeks. Wouldn't buy one of those again, darling. And you've been also listening to a disappointed Richard Porter. You were happy until Alonso advertised your car, weren't you? Life ruined. Say goodbye, Richard. Goodbye. And I'm Gareth. That's it. I was going to play you a tune, but you know what? You've got time. So I promise there'll be a double bonus extra music in the next episode, I hope, of Gareth Jones on Speed. Thanks for listening. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!